the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Chapter 1, we'll end up with the daily Bible reading for this week, but uh, let's go to chapter 1. And um, let's pray. Father, we pray for your blessing on our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I have spent days, and I suppose if you add those days up, maybe you would come up with weeks, hiking on the Laurel Highlands hiking trail through the woods. Up and down the hills, the mountains, through the groves, seeing all the terrain, but there is nothing better than in getting to the top of the mountain and finding yourself at an overlook where you can see where you've been, where you've hiked through the woods for hours and hours and hours, and then you're standing on a, on a high spot, and you can look down into the valley and one very favorite spot of mine is up on the Laurel Highlands uh, hiking trail at the Laurel Ridge, where you can see the Yakagani River meander its way down to Ohio Powell. And when you look at that and say, wow, I just walked through all of that territory. Because it's not good enough for us just to walk through the forest because you and I have heard people say many, many times, you know, you just can't see the forest for the trees. And so it's good for us to have a vista. And this morning I want to give you a little bit of a vista in the book of Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And I want to you to look at one verse of Scripture that we're going to follow through the book of Luke as far as we can. In Luke chapter 1, when Christ's birth announcement was given to Mary. When Christ's birth announcement was given to Mary, the angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And here is the punchline. Verse 33, I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you would like to read with me, let's do it together. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Sometimes when you're involved in something, you hate it when it comes to an end. Uh, vacations, when they come to an end, don't we, we don't like that, do we? And we sit there on the last day of our vacation saying, you know what, it's all over now, I've got to go home. Sometimes we're engaged in a project and we say, wow, I wish this would never end. Well, the Bible says that the kingdom of Christ will never end. The focus this morning is on the kingdom of Christ. 
But what I want to do is I want to contrast that, first of all, with the kingdoms of this world. There are 38 references to the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God. It's all the same thing. 38 references in the book of Luke. And there are 28 sections where we find that material. Now, I want to be optimistic. I don't know how you can read the book of Luke. I mean, it's easy. It's, it's easy to get caught up in all the negativism. It's easy to get caught up with all of, the, all, of the, all of the good stuff. But at the same time, you start to see how Jesus is being rejected and Jesus is being criticized and people are complaining and they're fighting and they're squabbling. And finally, they end up putting him to death. That's an easy part to see. Because our natural minds tend to gravitate to negative things. But to see the positive. But let me contrast the positive with the negative first of all. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 11 for just a second. This is one of the sections that deals with kingdoms. But in this particular case, we're not dealing so much with the kingdom of God as we're dealing with the kingdoms of this world. And he illustrates it first by discussing with us the kingdom of the devil. Because he has a kingdom too. And the heading is, a house divided cannot stand. Jesus was casting out demons in verse 14. And then there were some leaders who said, you know what? He's not casting out demons under the power of God. He's casting out demons under the power of Beelzebub, the devil. And Jesus, in verse 17, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house fails. And then he says this in verse 18, If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? But look in verse 20. He gets around to making a comparison. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, what I want you to do is to think about this as far as worldly kingdoms are concerned. During the American Revolution, this country was divided, really divided. It was divided between those patriots who wanted an, a new government and those who were called Tories. And you never knew who your next-door neighbor was. A lot of times you didn't know whether they were for the British or for the Americans. Since that time, we've established a government here where we have elections every four years for the President of the United States and we have frequent elections for senators and frequent elections even more so for the House of Representatives. And isn't it amazing that every time we come to an election, we have to have it. We have to have it because the nation is somewhat divided. Right? And that's why we elect. But I want you to note, this, I'm, I'm, you know, my disclaimer in all of this is that God has established government for the welfare of of society. And God does raise up nations with strong biblical goals in mind. When the pilgrims came here to the United States of America, they sat off the coast and while they're still in the in the in the ship, they formed the Mayflower Compact. And the Mayflower Compact said that they were here 
not only to establish a, 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 a society, but to establish a society that was going to honor the Lord. And a society where we would advance the kingdom of God. The implication being that we're going to share the gospel. We're going to take advantage of this wonderful religious liberty that we have. And we're going to worship God as we please, as we see fit in His Word. And we're going to share the gospel everywhere we can. And then we know that God raises up godly leaders who are strong in their biblical convictions. And I love this illustration because it shows us how great a nation become if we pay attention to little details as far as our Christianity is concerned. And you might want to sit there and you might want to say, well, you know what, this, is, this has got to be me as well. But in 1755, there was a 23-year-old colonel who was in the middle of running for a seat in the Virginia Assembly. And when he made an insulting remark as part of a campaign speech, the remark was addressed to a hot-tempered man named Payne, who responded by knocking the colonel down with a hickory stick. Familiar with this? Soldiers rushed to the colonel's assistance, and it appeared that a full-blown fight would ensue. And this would-be politician got up, and he dusted himself off, called off the soldiers, and he left the scene. The next morning, the colonel wrote to Payne, requesting his presence at a local tavern. Payne obliged, but he wondered what on earth the demands were going to be from the colonel. He wondered if he was going to be forced to make an apology, or even participate in a duel. Because you know that was pretty big back in those days. But to Payne's surprise, the colonel met him with an apology himself asked forgiveness for his derogatory remarks, and offered a handshake. Now, that move may have been viewed by others as if it was politically expedient for this colonel since he was running for a seat in the Virginia Assembly. But Colonel George Washington considered it a personal imperative because of his strong Christian beliefs. You see the point? He knew that if he was going to enjoy the inner peace that he needed, he would have to do what he did. Now, I'm, I'm merely sharing that with you because when we look at our political scene today and we look at the nations of this world, we see pretty much what Luke says in chapter 21 with the second passage of Scripture that deals with the kingdoms of this world. Inside we're divided, Luke 11, but outside we're divided, Luke 21. Because when Jesus gives to us the signs of the time and the disciples ask Him and teacher, they, you remember that they were asking Him what the signs of the time would be and what the end of the world would be. And Jesus said to them in verse 10, then he said to them, part of what he said, nations will what? Rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Well, enough of the negative, all right? Let's go back to the positive for a moment, all right? 
and let's see if we can give ourselves a bit of an overview. And that means that instead of giving you all the little details, we're going to go through as many of these passages of Scripture as quickly as we can so that you can stand on top of the mountain and say, My gracious Lord, thank you for your kingdom. So we looked at Luke chapter 1, where the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is going to last forever. Go to chapter 4. Go to chapter 4, and let's look at the section where Jesus is going into Galilee, and he's preaching the gospel. The Bible says to us in verse 43 that when he's in Galilee and he's preaching the gospel, he says to the crowd, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities in Galilee, also because for this purpose I have been sent. Now that ought to send a strong message to all of us, by the way. And I'm going to try to limit my commentary, but it ought to send a strong message to the church that our responsibility is to preach the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. Amen? Our purpose... Our purpose as those under the head of Christ is to focus on the kingdom of God. Let's go to the next passage of Scripture. Turn to chapter 6, verse 20. 6, verse 20, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins with the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, he lifted up his eyes towards his, toward, toward, to, toward his disciples, and he said these words, Blessed are you, poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. A little longer version of that in the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I think of that, and I think of the day that I got saved. I think of the day that I just fell on my knees, and I said, Lord, I'll tell you what, I am a sinner after all, and I need you to save me from my sin. And I humbled myself, and God gave me a contrite spirit, and in my humility and in my contrite heart, God gave me his kingdom. Now, not as a gift, but he said, it's yours. You are now a part of the kingdom. You are now a citizen of the kingdom. And I'll tell you what, ever since that day, it's been great to know that I am a citizen in the kingdom of God. Go to the next passage of Scripture which is John the, well, let's, not do, let's forget the next one and let's go to the one in chapter 7 at the end of the chapter where many women minister to Jesus. And this is just a confirmation of what we already talked about. Came to pass afterwards in 8-1 that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. We already know that our responsibility is to preach the kingdom of God. We already know that that's Christ's purpose. That's why he came but notice what he says here, that the preaching of the kingdom of God is glad tidings. And if you don't see it as glad tidings, we need to investigate God's word very carefully to understand why that is true. The parable of the sower is next. We have a reference to the kingdom of God there. And when Jesus gives the parable of the sower, where the sower went out and he sowed seed, and some of it fell upon the wayside, and some of it fell in the shallow soil, and some of it fell among the thorns, and some fell among good ground. 
His disciples were trying to figure out what that, that, that parable meant. And then his disciples asked him in verse 9, saying, What does this parable mean? And Jesus said these words to them. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mysteries of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a mystery. It exists. But for the world, it's a mystery. For those who don't know Christ, it's a mystery. You talk about it, and they don't know what you're talking about. They think, what do you mean, the kingdom of God? I don't see no kingdom of God. I don't understand what it's all about. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples in chapter 9. And in sending out the 12 disciples, he called them to himself, and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And notice what it says in verse 2. He sent them to what? I'm not surprised. We're hearing it again. To what? Everybody together, preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I love that second part. Because God's purpose in us being a part of the kingdom of God is that one of these days, he's going to remove all sickness, all pain, all suffering. And we have a preview of that in Jesus' ministry of healing people. The feeding of the 5,000 in the same chapter beginning at verse 10. Where the Bible says the apostles when they had returned told him all that they had done. And then he took them and went aside privately into a desert, desert, deserted place. But look what he says in verse 11. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about, everybody together, the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had need of healing. Once again, this is the focus of Christ's ministry. This is his purpose, to speak about the kingdom of God. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is the very next one, which is also in chapter 9, where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is what you call a landmark passage of Scripture in the Bible. You need to know where this is in all of the Gospels that record it. And Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. In verse 27, the Bible says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see, what? The kingdom of God. Jesus said there's some standing here that are not going to see death till they see the kingdom of God. That they get a picture of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus takes Peter, John, and James up unto the top of the mountain where he prays. And he, he appears to them transformed. His robe becomes white and glistening. And behold, two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. I wonder what they thought of their assignment when God came to Moses and Elijah and said, You know what? You're going down to earth for, 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 for a bit, for a little while. You and Jesus are going to talk on the Mount of Transfiguration in all of glory. And the Bible says they appeared in glory and they spoke of Jesus' decease or his going away. And the Bible says that Peter and James and John were, were pretty impressed with this whole thing. They were wondering whether they should be there. Peter wanted to build a tabernacle for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah 
And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice ceased, Jesus was found alone. Moses and Elijah were transported back to heaven. And the disciples got to see a glimpse, something tangible about the kingdom of God. There are many, many other passages of Scripture that talk about the kingdom of God. And as you read through the book of Luke, I'm hoping that you're stopping and you're aware of what the Bible says about that. In verse 60 of chapter 9, we have another reference where Jesus said to those who wanted to be his disciples, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. In verse 62, Jesus said to another one who wanted to be a disciple, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we all wonder what that means, of course, but you and I need to keep in mind the fact that if you understand what it is like to be a part of the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of God as the disciples saw the kingdom of God, how can you walk away from it and say, I, you know, it's, it's not for me. It's not for me. Jesus sends 70 people out. And the Bible tells us, and he sends 70 people out, and they go before him into all the places where he's going to eventually go. And in verse 9 of chapter 10, he healed the sick there, and, and, uh, and, and they healed the sick there, and, and they said to the people, what is it together? The kingdom of God has come near to you. And as Jesus is giving these destructions, instructions to share with people, he says, you know, if they don't receive you, then you're going to have to shake the dust off of your feet and you're going to have to walk away. But he says again in verse 11, Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. The 70 returned with joy and they rejoiced. Here is a passage of Scripture, the only one I know of in the book of Luke that doesn't give the kingdom of God, but certainly refers to it when he says in verse 20 that the 70 return with joy and says, wow, this is great. The spirits are subject to us. And Jesus said, well, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are what? Written in heaven. How many have a birth certificate? Aren't you glad? That doesn't mean you weren't born if you don't have one, obviously. But, but I get my birth certificate out every 10 years or so, and I look at it. And I look at it, and I'm kind of proud of it. And because it says I was born in Connellsville, Pennsylvania, I know that I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Because my name is written in heaven, I know I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen? That's pretty exciting. I don't know about you, but it really excites me. The uh, Bible says in, verse, in chapter 11 that Jesus talks about prayer. There's many, many little things here he says about prayer. And when the disciples ask him to teach them to pray, what does he say? 
Everybody can say this together. He starts off by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Two things. Your kingdom needs to come into the hearts of people so that they can become a part of the kingdom. And number two, Lord, we want your kingdom to visibly, visibly come. And we want it to be over all the earth. From sea to shining sea. From mountaintop to the bottom of the ocean. The Bible says that's going to happen. And then there are other passages of Scripture. Let's go to the one on, uh, in chapter 12, verse 22 and following. This passage is found in the Sermon on the Mount, or early in the Gospel of Matthew. But it's in chapter 12 of Luke, where the disciples, like everybody else, no doubt, are worrying about the simple things of life. Wondering where their food is going to come from, and wondering where they're going to live, and Wondering what they're going to do and all of this. They changed, these disciples changed their jobs and working with the Lord. They gave up their, their, their regular jobs. Fishermen, a tax collector. And so they, they have a tendency to worry like everybody. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. But in verse 31, seek what? What does he say? Seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And if we didn't understand this, he says, Don't fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, once again, we're flying over. We're giving you an overview. The parable of the mustard seed comes next. The Bible says in Luke chapter 13 that Jesus says, What is the kingdom of God? Chapter 13, verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? What did he say? It's like a what? It's like a mustard seed that becomes, it's such a small seed, one of the smallest seeds, and it becomes a what? A great tree, and the birds come. We have a bird feeder out back, and the birds just love to come and sit in the trees. They, there must be some comfort in being near that feeder when there's a foot of snow on the ground. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. It's a place where birds are going to come. And, of course, that represents human beings. That represents the human race flocking to the kingdom of God. The parable of the leaven is next, where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven. Those of you who bake bread know exactly what that's all about. You put leaven in the dough and you let it rise and rise and rise and rise. All right. But look at verse 28 and 29. When Jesus is talking about the narrow way, somebody comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, are there going to be many saved or a few? And he says, he focuses on the few. He says, so it looks to me like only a few people are going to be saved. And Jesus says, well, you know, enter, enter through the narrow gate for many that will, will seek to enter and not be able to because they're looking for a wide gate. They're looking to get into the kingdom of God by any way they possibly can. I hate to say this, but some by hook or by crook. Some by whatever lifestyle they want. 
Some by whatever faith they want. And Jesus says, a narrow way. You have to come through me. You have to come through me. But look at verse 28. And he's talking about those who are struggling. The religious leaders, of course, of that day were struggling. They didn't want to accept anything Jesus was saying. And notice what it says in verse 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And so it's been. People have come from the north, the south, the east and the west for thousands of years into the kingdom of God. Parable of the Great Supper is next in chapter 14, verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table, they, you know, Jesus was invited to a dinner, beginning of chapter 14. And the person who invited him was a Pharisee. And they were skeptical of Jesus, but they invited Jesus to the dinner and Jesus healed a man who happened to be there. And the lawyers and the Pharisees kind of got on Jesus' case for doing that. And Jesus said, you know what? Because it was the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, well, if you have a donkey or an ox that has fallen to a pit, are you going to pull him out on the Sabbath day? Are you going to leave him sit in there and struggle? So he gives them a parable of a wedding feast. And after he gives the parable, now this is already the frame of reference, a wedding feast. Is there going to be a big wedding feast in the kingdom of God? Do we know there's going to be a big wedding feast? Yeah, it's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. Abraham will be there. Isaac will be there. Jacob will be there. The prophets will be there. Believers will be there from all ages down to you have a lot of relatives there. And we'll all be there at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the Bible says that after the dinner was over, Jesus gives a parable to one of those who sat at the table and heard these things and said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And now instead of giving a sermon or a parable of a wedding feast, he gives a parable of a great feast where God invites the whole world, essentially the whole world, to be a part of the kingdom of God. Well, we don't have time to go into that, but <clears throat> verse uh, 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 16, where Jesus talks about the law, the prophets, and the kingdom. Now the Pharisees, in verse 14, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things. And Jesus had just given these parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, the prodigal son. He'd just done that. And given a parable of an unjust steward. And the Pharisees who heard all these things derided him. Got on his case about it. Don't you want lost sheep to be found? Apparently they didn't. Don't you want lost coins to be found? Apparently they didn't. Don't you want prodigal sons to return? Apparently you don't. <laughs> they derided him. And he said to him, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John since the time the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is pressing into it. There's the right attitude. 
Well, I see our time is gone, and there are many, many other passages of Scripture. Just read them. When you come to a kingdom, when you come to a kingdom passage, mark it. Put a little, put a little check mark there. Put it out. Let me just give you the next to the last one. Jesus is hanging on the cross. You don't have to even have to turn to this, but he's hanging on the cross in, in Luke chapter 23. And here's a man who made mistakes, 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 so many mistakes in his lifetime that he ends up being on a cross next to Jesus. I bet he had a lot of regrets. I bet he wished he could have done things over. But he looks at Jesus and he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, you and I know that the kingdom of God has already been established. We're citizens of the kingdom. Jesus is, you know, the kingdom is just as close to us as Jesus is. So we ought to live like we're in the kingdom. We ought to live like kingdom children. We really should. But there is a kingdom coming. He's going to establish it physically on this earth one of these days when Jesus returns. Amen. And I want to make a final, you've heard this illustration before, but I love the way that this was written up in a devotional Bible that I have. And so I want to read it to you in closing, because I want you to, I want you to compare this, the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world. And I want you to say, I clearly, I want to be, I want to be focused on the kingdom of God. An officer in the Navy had dreamed from childhood of commanding a great battleship one day, and Finally, he achieved his dream, and he found himself commissioned to the newest and proudest ship in the fleet. One stormy night, the captain was on duty on the bridge when he spotted a strange light rapidly closing in on his own vessel. As his ship plowed through the giant waves, the light rose and fell just above the horizon of the sea. He ordered his single man, signal man to flash a message to the unidentified craft. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Within seconds, a reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Determined that his ship would never give way to any other, the captain snapped the second order. Alter course 10 degrees. I am the captain. The response was beamed back. Alter your course 10 degrees. I am Seaman 3rd Class Smith. By this time, the light was growing brighter and brighter. Infuriated, the captain grabbed the signal light himself and signaled, Alter course, I am a battleship. The reply came back quickly, Alter your course, I am a lighthouse. You've heard that. I know. I think of the kingdoms of this world as battleships. I do. Battleships. But the kingdom of God is a lighthouse. Amen. I'm glad I am where I am. I'm glad I get to do what I get to do. I'm glad the purpose of the church is to be a lighthouse and not a battleship. Amen. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this overview of your kingdom, so many passages you've given to us in Luke, and they're all through Matthew and the other Gospels and the other books as well. Thank you for giving us 
an opportunity to preach the kingdom. Father, help us to stay focused on your kingdom. Help us to know that your kingdom is within us. It is as close as you are to us. And Father, remind us that there's great hope because you're going to establish it worldwide when Jesus returns. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.